Yeah. Happy Monday. Happy Monday indeed. Garrett, it was a huge weekend, so I don't have time for some rant that takes us through the first segment and has us <laughs> up against the timeout. we got to get right to it. A lot went down this weekend. A lot Friday went down. through Sunday. High school football playoffs, college football, NFL, World Series, some really good, some really bad. Some is a matter of perspective, I do believe. There's a guy sitting in this chair who kind of enjoyed his Sunday. Guy sitting in the chair on the other side of the glass who not so much. And many, many well, I'm not sure there are any is anybody listening to this program that was particularly happy with their NFL weekend. We'll get into all that. Anything that stands out from the weekend that you'd like to go with first? It certainly feels as if either the games were phenomenal or horrendous yesterday. Do you believe this statement? And I'm going to say it and I want your reaction. We don't really know the difference between good games and bad games. It's just competitive or non-competitive. Yeah. Think yeah. that's true? Yeah, because I think you can watch a, like, I, I, generally, uh, and I don't know that I feel this way, you could look at a 15 to 10 game, and it could be a really well-played game. Or? Or you could watch what happened yesterday <laughs> and not think that that was a really well-played game. I think I have said it on these airwaves before. This is coming from a certain wealth of experience in this category. If it's going to be this ugly, by God, you have to win. <laughs> That's uh, 100%. 100% agree. And, and not just the Browns. Uh, as a Colts fan, um, yesterday, Carson Wentz made a play that made me wonder if that was the worst play in Colts history. And keep in mind the that they, they snapped the football uh, on a fake punt to a guy who, who had joined the squad on Friday that week on like fourth and four with three guys around him. Uh, and that was... I think the worst play in franchise history. That's the worst play in league history. I was going to say, yeah. that, that might be league the worst history. play in league history. And yesterday, Carson Wentz made me go, is that the worst play in franchise history, which would be, in turn, the worst play in league history? Because it's pretty high up there. And he, uh, there were several of those throughout the day yesterday. There was some bad, bad, bad football yesterday, and I watched a lot of it. There was indeed some bad football. I avoided watching some of it. Um we will, I'm sure, make time to talk about the Browns and the Steelers. And again, it's well chronicled that I'm a Steelers fan for a very long time in my life, but I don't have that vitriolic reaction to that rivalry. Really, any pro sports situation the way that I, well, though my wife would tell you that if you'd have heard me scream on the fake field goal, she might think I still have very strong vitriolic feelings. But I, it, that game creates so many more questions than it does anything else oh, it, that it is mind-boggling to me. And the, the number of questions coming out of that. And let me say this. This is a weekend observation. It, it, it's got to be more than just the fanboy. Re like, people wanting to fire Stefanski, wanting to get, with, get a different quarterback than Baker. And I heard multiple people say that the defensive coordinator has to go. Do you people look at league statistics? Do you know no. where your team ranks? <laughs> no. Look don't. at where your team ranks in pass defense, run defense, over a total defense. Uh, the, the guy's got to go. In, in a game in which his defense gave up a whopping 15 points. I was going to say, well, they gave up 49 to the Chargers a month ago, John. He's got to go now. Well, hold on. They, they, they gave up 15 to a division opponent. Generally, that should be enough to win you the football game. Would think so, yes. But it was not. How how much concern should there be in Cleveland about this playoff 
picture. A lot. A tremendous uh, amount, uh, uh, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I think a, a gigantic amount. How big is Sunday? <laughs> for both, for right, both squads. Absolutely, squad. it's for an both absolutely squads. huge game. For the Bengals and the Browns, it is massive. Now, whether uh, and uh, apparently Tony Romo and Jim Nance will be at Browns Bengals, so CBS sees it as a They're, massive they, game as well. Yes, right. they do. I I envisioned a lot of scenarios for the 2021 season don't know that I envisioned this one for the Browns where you're completely banged up all over the board. You just lost to a Steelers team that everybody, I think for the most part is in agreement is in agreement that is not very good. They're not bad, but they're not really good. They're not world beaters. They're not, I don't think they're a playoff contender, but I don't know. I don't know that I know anything now. I have no idea what I know. That's exactly what I had in my notes for today for weekend observations. I had Browns, Bengals, and I had dot, 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 who's good. Not out of those two. Just who's <laughs> good. Who's good. Because the Titans should have lost to a team yesterday that their quarterback made a play that made me wonder if that was the worst play in NFL history. <laughs> they played in overtime against a team that made me wonder if that was the worst play in NFL history. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Let's shift gears and talk something positive from the weekend. How about high school football playoffs? Let me give you this. We had six games Friday night involving area teams. Our area teams were 5-1. and one. I think I gave the number at like 29 or 30 or something games on Saturday involving local teams. There was like 23 games with 32 yeah. teams. By my, by my count, and I eliminated some of those teams that are on the further outreaches of Lima Land because <laughs> it just came, became too difficult to, to track. I had, them, I had our area 19-10 and 10 on Saturday, and five of those 19-10 and 10 deals included both teams being in our area. Right. I mean, there was going to be a win and a loss no matter how you did it. 19-10 and 10 on Saturday, 5-1 and one on Friday. Quite the successful weekend, although there are some very disappointed fan bases, I'm sure. Quite the successful weekend in high school football, which isn't surprising. No, I, when the WBL goes 5-1 and one in the playoffs, in Bath um, didn't play poorly by any stretch of the imagination. They just played a, a better team that um, they, they couldn't punch punch it into the end zone against. The WBL goes 5-1. and one. The MAC goes, I think, 7-0, and 8-0? 8-0? 7-0. 7-0, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. St. John's Parkway and Minster didn't make the playoffs. MAC goes 7-0 and with... Uh, a couple of Fort Recovery was a 13 seed, a 14 seed. Yeah, they they beat a, a good Arcanum team. Anna moves on to play Fort Recovery this week. Um, it, 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 I'm blown away constantly of, and not just how successful our teams are in the first round, but kind of some of the margins of victory where um, there there were some there were some massacres. There were I, some. There were a considerable. I won't. I didn't get you the count, and that's bad on me because I was busy doing other stuff. But there were a considerable number of teams who won games with a seed number larger than eight, which means they would not have made the playoffs. But they have a win um, over teams that would have made the playoffs had the expansion not taken place. And that's neither here nor there. There were there were a couple sixteens who beat ones. Uh, yeah, there was one. There was one sixteen over one, I believe. Yeah, one sixteen over one, but there. It it, was, there must have been a couple 14s that got that beat like threes. Dublin Kaufman, uh, yes, coached Dublin by Kaufman. coached by Garen Stokes, former Minster coach, uh, won on a hail mary. That, I don't know if you've seen. That I, there was not. I, there I'm was nice some consternation about whether that was it, uh, the official took legitimately a minute 
after the play was complete to signal whether it was a touchdown or not. I can't imagine the suspense <laughs> in that moment. But uh, Dublin Coffin was a 14 at 3-7, and seven, beat Huber Heights Wayne, who is a traditional D1 power. Um, you know, Braxton Miller with there that they, they played in the state championship game a lot in the last 15 years, and Dublin Kaufman beats them on a on a Hail Mary. There are And Kaufman has Finley next, right? Kaufman comes up to Finley. I, I, I may make plans to be at that contest. On Friday night at Donnell Stadium. I, I may make plans to be at that contest. I think that is intriguing to me. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I may just... The, the whole weekend was really quite something when you look at the scores, and there were there were some incredible blowouts, but there were also some some sizable upsets that had lopsided scores in the wrong direction. Uh, we did have a couple of area teams, and I'm including Indian Lake in this, that were were better seated teams that got yeah. knocked off. Um, but it leads into a really exciting uh, week two of the playoffs or week uh, twelve of the football season because we're going to have some head to head matchups right here in our area, and I'm sure right here on our airwaves. Oh, yeah, we've got uh, Upper Saddle Valley and LCC on Saturday night, which uh looking forward to in Division 7, Region 26. Um, on Friday night, we're going to go to Bellbrook and have Wapak Bellbrook, uh, where the the Golden Eagles are uh, the number three ranked team. And when you look at their schedule, uh, their two losses are to teams that went 10-0 and and 10-1 and so far this season by a combined 11 points. Uh, but the rest of their schedule is not that great, to be honest with you. Uh, St. Mary's is flying high right now. That like St. Mary's is not a uh, not a high flying offense by any stretch of the imagination. They put forty nine points on the board in a playoff game, where they score a eighty yard touchdown run on the first play of the game. Uh, the, the, it was a really, 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 really impressive weekend for teams in our area. So, and there's so much more we can talk about. The Buckeyes played Penn State. Obviously, you're aware of that. Um, Teton and Sparty got together, and it was, to say the least, entertaining. And the World Series was the World Series. We've got the entire show to talk about all these things. We're going to take our first Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we're going to get into poll questions. Uh, they're out there on Twitter for you. We'll check those poll questions. But we're going to look forward to our visit with Mark Ray, Managing Editor Maris of the Buckeye Sports Bulletin. Will you join us? And we're also going to be visiting with Ken Silverstein, Cleveland Pro Sports Reporter, to talk about that <clears throat> Browns and Steelers game and what it was. And uh, that and so much more. Make sure you stick with us right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Basement Doctor Studio. I'm John Cook. My partner's Garrett Seawright. We're cooking the monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We're presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply online at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Mr. C. Wright, this is the time in the program, and we always do our Twitter poll questions for the day. Yeah, we got four of them up at 931 Fan on Twitter that we want your votes in until 545. The first question, is the Brown season going down the drain? 66% say yes. <laughs> yes. That's understandable. Yes, they do. <laughs> Will Jim Harbaugh ever win the big one at Michigan? And I don't know that I mean like a national champion. Like, is he ever just going to beat Michigan State or... Ohio State, uh, 83% say no. He is not going to win the big one. Well, we'll see how people feel. I don't know. He's going to have another opportunity here in a few weeks. And it will. makes me a nervous wreck. Uh, we're also asking, which seasonal Reese's is the best shape? Easter eggs, pumpkins, or Christmas trees? These are the important questions we find find the answers to here on the, on the show, John. 
and 71% say Easter eggs. They just look bigger. 71% are right. <laughs> Amen, they are. Amen, <laughs> those Easter, absolutely. Those Easter eggs are good. They are good. Uh, and then our final poll question is, <laughs> after seeing the first round play out, are you in favor of the high school football playoffs having 16 qualifying teams per region? And 66% say no. Yeah, I don't, I guess I... I would have. Oh, we got comments. Even. We got. Did we you got. Check the yeah. Comments? Yeah. We got. So Bryce says we've already seen a 14, 15, and sixteen seed get upset wins. I don't think no is a logical answer, and I want to know who thinks it's not a good idea. Well, Bryce, hang on. And then uh, <laughs> Drew uh, says at first I wasn't, but this gives a shot to teams who, by no fault of their own, have a weak schedule. Also, more football equals good. Also, in what universe is LCC in the same division as USV? That's amazing. Those two match up this weekend. Well, Drew, uh, you got. The smallest division, where who's who, who's got the most kids? Um, that, that, that's how that's how that's how that works. works. It's it's there's actually math involved. Yeah, it's um, not particularly difficult, but it's there is math. Oh yeah, no, and it, and it generally as a private school, you are um, you, you're punished for being a private school, and yet LCC is in the smallest division. So you're giving people things to complain about, Garrett, without even uh, knowing it. Well, yeah, they should split them. There should be separate tournaments. Like, oh, come on, <laughs> calm down, calm down now. Uh, but the numbers in the uh, breakout of how the the weekend went in regards to seeds was was not was not pretty, and simply because one sixteen beat a one sixteen seed one one fifteen seed one two thirteen seeds three fourteen seeds uh, two or one one eleven seed six nine seeds. When that so, happens in the NCAA tournament, we think that's cool as bleep, and it happens in a football thing, and we, well, it's a problem. So uh, the the higher seeds went 111 and 16. That that's why you don't need 16 teams. Yes, simply that, that, because that would be a fair argument. Simply because one 16 seed beat a 15 to beat a beat a one seed doesn't mean every 16 seed is worthy, as evidenced by 0 and 10 teams making the playoffs. And I, I'm in agreement with those coaches that believe that making the playoffs in Ohio meant something and should mean something, and now it doesn't. I don't think you're going to see teams with their, you know, 2021 state playoff T-shirts that, you know, were the 15th seed. They're, they're, I don't believe they're going to do that. So that's my. If you go 111 and 16, do we? In my argument, when they wanted to expand it to 12, was two eight seeds in the history of the eight seeds had won state championships. That's the whole point of the playoffs. It's not to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy on the inside that they got to say they played in the playoffs. It's to find out who the state champion is. And when eight, two eight seeds in the history of eight seeds for what well, I think 18, 19, 19 years of eight seeds, two of them won state championships. I didn't think we were missing out on teams in 11 through 16 who were potential state champions that didn't make it. In the past, Garrett, I legitimately need to excuse myself from this entire conversation, and I and I love to try and be a, a person who makes intelligent arguments on behalf of whatever point I'm choosing to defend. I'd like to make it so that I could defend either side of an issue, and you wouldn't know what I really believe. I'm not very mm-hmm. good at that part yet. I do need to excuse myself or recuse myself from this entire conversation because I'm a basketball guy. 
it, it's it's where it's my wheelhouse. It's where I live and breathe. It's what I understand. Everybody goes to the tournament. That's the way it is. And I also spent my entire childhood attending a school system that had no shot of ever making the postseason. And now in school history, my high school has made it twice. And there's a part of me that, even though I'm nearing 50 years old, looks back and says, "Well, good for those guys. I'm glad they're getting that opportunity." Although I don't know that it wouldn't have probably. But this year they probably would have gotten in regardless. Yeah. The whole issue to me is, and the reason I say I just don't really need to be involved because I can't passionately tell you why I think it's wrong because I don't I I know that there's a good argument to be made for why it's wrong and football traditionalists should not be dismissed just because they're traditionalists I also couldn't sit here and tell you why it's the best thing in the world to give every kid a chance because football's not basketball you can't play twice a week you can't move through the tournament quickly it's it's you you have to expend the 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 player health and safety issue is a big deal and to be quite honest with you, when you put guys on a field that are physically overmatched in a sport where the obje- object of the sport is to move another man against his will, right, I, right. I think you're exposing kids to potential injury that, that's not very good. So I really don't don't feel like I can participate in the argument. I'll just say, whatever you believe, believe it, that's fine, but respect the beliefs of the other people. Well, do you believe that, every, like, to your core, do you believe everybody should make the basketball tournament? Yeah, I do. Because I do not. I do. Because oh, I've seen a bunch yeah. of bunch of sectional semifinal games where they're not even playing the the better teams that are upcoming. Where you get a 13 seed versus an 11 seed in a sectional semifinal, and they lose by half a hundred. Did did we really need to do that? Did we find anything well, and, out? And, and, uh, and I've been one of those guys. Uh, uh, and here's the thing: I, I don't know what I don't know how you would determine the cutoff. I don't know if it would be computer points. I don't know what right, it would yeah. be. But the year I the year that the team I coached got beat by 73 points in a sectional game, we won seven games that year. I mean, I you know, so I. But if you go zero and twenty-two, right? Do, do, do you so, deserve and, to be and, on and that the, floor the on Tuesday The interesting side of that argument is this: I, I, if you came to me and said we're going to make you have to qualify for this basketball state postseason, I would be interested to hear how it's going to be determined because I think I, it's okay. But the traditionalist argument for football, it, for why playoffs shouldn't be expanded, would be the exact opposite. But the same passionate argument would be made for basketball if you said we're going to limit teams, right? That get in traditionally. No, everybody gets a chance. That's what it's the second season. Everybody gets as good. It's oh and oh and blah blah blah. And and again, could embrace any argument. But I, I'm here to tell you that if you went ahead and limited the basketball postseason and teams had to qualify, I would stand up and say the tournament's going to be better from the very beginning. It's going to be better, and that's not a bad thing. Right. And I, and I think I just think you made the point that. Obviously, you can't play twice a week to expedite the football playoffs, so you've got to cap it at some point that we can't. I mean, technically, we could play six regular season games and everybody make the playoffs. I think in Indiana they play eight and do that. Yeah, nine. Or, yeah, is they, it nine? They go nine, which I don't. I don't know. That's a great number. You play. You're playing at least either one home game, one extra home game every year, or one extra away game every year. I don't know, but you're right in that the tournament gets exponentially better. And do 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 we weed out some of the Teams that you, you watch on that first Tuesday night of sectional Tuesday and think that was a waste. That was that was a, just a chance for a better team to get somebody injured that we didn't really need to go through the the pomp and circumstance of so that other school can feel warm and fuzzy that they got their chance. The I, one I, thing that's always going to exist here, you could cut the basketball tournament off and, and make teams qualify. You're still going to have a team with somewhere between five and eight wins that's playing that's playing in the first round a team that's going to win a state title and it's going to be ugly now will they all be 95 to 22 like the team was that i coached at Allen East when we played the best high school team i've ever seen at lima central catholic um 
they won't all be like that, but you're always going to have that. Now, the issue is how, you know, what, and I don't know that it's an argument that's imminent. I don't know that it's an argument that has any real value unless it suddenly becomes something that's on the table. But the reason it's worth having it is because football is on the other side of the spectrum. They're doing things to expand the postseason, and there are plenty of arguments to be made for why that's not a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. We're making Mark Ray wait here, so we're, I, I we're just looked late. at the clock. I'm like, yeah. oh boy, oh boy. got to get to a Don Jenkins jeweler timeout, so we come back and visit with managing editor emeritus of the Buckeye Sports Bulletin, Mr. Mark Ray. Join us for that after this Don Jenkins jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studio, Cookie and the Monster, John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you. Here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan, we're going to go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline and welcome in friend of the program and weekly guest, Mark Ray, the managing editor emeritus of the Buckeye Sports Bulletin, joins us. Mark, I had all this planned out in my head, what we were going to talk about, uh, about the outcome of, of Saturday's game, and, and then like the whole world kind of seems to have gone crazy because Ohio State dropped in the polls. So I, I don't know where we should start this conversation, but I'd rather focus on the football. Um I, I just I'm one of those guys who believes that when you play a league opponent and, and you get a win, I, I don't want to be unhappy. I, am I crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're not crazy, but you are crazy if you take any stock in the polls. Um, you know, the polls are are basically uh, they basically exist to piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say if that's their goal, they can they can pat themselves on the back as mission accomplished here in the in the, in Buckeye Land. Yeah, it, you know it's uh, you know when you beat Penn State and Penn State was what six just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then you've got you know the 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 Michigan State uh, Michigan they're both in the top ten. You've had several SEC matchups where they're both in the top ten. You know, this this is like a, a church bingo game. You know, it, it's, you never know what number is going to fall out of the hopper. So, the real, you know, the real deal starts tomorrow night when the playoff committee releases their rankings. And you know, take a chill pill because I don't, I'm, I don't think Ohio State's going to be in the top four in the first poll. But it doesn't matter where they are in the first poll. It only matters where they are in the final poll. Well, and, and certainly, and I, I think. If it need, if we need to say this to alleviate any angst that Buckeye fans might be feeling, is I would I would almost bet that you'll feel better about where you are in the polls uh, tomorrow evening than a, than a Cincinnati fan is going to feel about where they are. Well, you know, yeah, I agree with that. But you know, now now is not the time to screw Cincinnati. That will be later on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they can get you know maximum you know force out of that. There you go. These polls are they're so crazy. You know, you you remember back in the the first time they did the playoff it was 2014, and you've got I think it was Baylor and TCU were you know fighting over what they thought was going to yeah. be the last spot in, and they both got thrown out for Ohio State, and Ohio State went and won it all. So you know, these things are so crazy, and but. The AP and the coaches, they, they just do it for shock value. I would agree with that. I think there's certainly uh, plenty well, of evidence. Wait, you, you mean to tell me Ohio State wasn't the 11th best team in the country last year entering the playoff, Mark? <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? Uh, that's what I'm telling you. And, and I don't think that, you know, based upon 
you know, what I've seen so far that Oklahoma's, you know, number three. I'm surprised they didn't jump Oklahoma over Cincinnati after the Tulane game. I really am. Uh, you know, just to just to prime the pump and, and get Cincinnati's fans, you know, ready for what's coming. But I yeah. guess they're saving that for later. Well, Cincinnati's fans could have screamed, we beat Tulane more than you guys did uh, <laughs> at the Oklahoma fans. But let's talk about what we saw on the field Saturday night. A couple of things that stood out to me early on in that game. Number one, I was almost shocked at how how much more physical Penn State's defense appeared to be than Ohio State's offensive line early in that contest. Second of all, um, to take a punch in the mouth kind of like they did a little bit early and stand up from it, I, I, I feel yep. I continue week after week to feel better about C.J. Stroud and where he is mentally. Yeah, I agree with both of those. Um, you know, in full disclosure, I, I thought Ohio State would blow Penn State out. And, yeah. and the reason I thought that, it didn't have anything to do with Akron and Rutgers and all that bunch. Penn State's been decimated on defense, uh, you know, with injuries. And I just thought, you know, there's no way they're going to be able to to stand up against Ohio State's number one offense in the country. Well, not only did they stand up, but, yeah, like you said, they punched them right in the face. And to their credit, they they took the punch and, and came back for more. To Ryan Day's credit, he kept plugging away with a running game that was going absolutely nowhere in the first half. Um, and, you know, they, they made their adjustments. They, they got where they wanted to go eventually and they got a win. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those guys, my, my dad, rest his soul, had a saying that, you know, you never learn anything unless you get your butt kicked. You know, you don't learn anything from winning when you learn is when you lose. I think they learned a whole bunch of lessons from the Oregon game. And I think they're, they're putting those, uh, what they've learned to, to, uh, to good use, and I think you know the proof was on Saturday. If that game had happened earlier in the season, I think they'd have been looking at each other and pointing figures, and maybe would have lost that game. But uh, you know, this this is a better team now than the one that played Oregon. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Mark. In that uh, earlier in the season, John and I off the air talked about you know, how many more games is Ohio State going to lose because the way they looked against Oregon. Yeah. looked like yeah. it was conceivable that it was going to be another one or two losses. And and I, th- yeah. I think you're and entirely Tulsa correct. Too, which was, you know, Tulsa was Tulsa's no great shakes, and, and they didn't look very good against them either. So, um, you know, week by week, they've, you know, improved incrementally, regardless of, you know, what other team was on the other sideline. But, uh, yeah, that was... That was a that, that was a pretty good Penn State team. You know their record doesn't show it now since they've lost three in a row. But um, you know, I I put Penn State against. I like to see Penn State play Oklahoma and see what happens. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> that would really be fantastic. I I do think that Penn State's defense is is potentially as good as any defense Ohio State's going to see. Um, you know, we've talked, I think the last two or three times you've been on, we've talked about their limitations offensively and, and, you know, what, what role Sean Clifford plays in that. I'm not sure he could have been better for three quarters of that game Saturday than he was and given his team a chance, but. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I've, I've trashed, you know, young Mr. Clifford on your show a couple <laughs> of times, but yeah, I thought he played very well. Um, the best thing about Ohio State's defense was that they kept everything in front of them. And, uh, you know, they had – Penn State had a couple of, of long gainers, but not very many. Their longest touchdown pass was five yards. So, you know, you got to give them credit for that. You look at one stat, 361 through the year, and you go, oh, wow, that's that's way too many. But, you know, 
in the context of how they got those 361. Yeah, not so bad. Well, I felt the same way, but I think I think Jahan Dotson caught 11 balls or whatever and, and statistically yep. had a huge night. But I thought the way Ohio State defended him was was really, really effective. I, nothing gets behind you. When he catches it, you hit him. And yep. and I, I, I'm i not never always or never been necessarily a big fan of the bend but don't break defense. But really what it comes down to when you're playing that Penn State team is yards aren't that meaningful, points are, and, and the feeling going in was they can't put enough points on the board to keep up with Ohio State, and that's pretty well how it turned out. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's the way the rest of Ohio State's season's going to turn out. You know, can you outscore us? Because we don't think you can. You know, Dotson's a kid. He's, he's going to get his catches and going to get his yards. You have to go into Penn State and say, you, you're not going to run on us, and that includes you, Sean Clifford. And they, they pretty much, you know, mission accomplished on that. Now, you know, they're, they're going to go to Nebraska this weekend and, you know, come up against another running quarterback, but, but one that likes to throw it to the other team. So, you know, that's, that's one set of problems. Um, but, you know, you can't look ahead. It, it's easy to go, you know, well, Nebraska's not that good, and Purdue, you know, they're a giant killer once a year, but they've already – you know, they've already spent that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's let's move ahead to Michigan State and Michigan. But that's you know, that's not that's not what we need to do. Ohio State is is very good, but they're not so great that they can start overlooking people. Managing editor emeritus Mark Ray of the Buckeye Sports Bulletin joining us on the Amera First Home Mortgage Hotline. And Mark, you mentioned the the kind of mindset being we're just going to outscore you, but without a doubt, Ohio State's defense is markedly improved. Is that simply attributed to the the switch to Matt Barnes calling the defense or or what has been the difference in the the switch that they're significantly better defensively now? Well, I think that's part of it. And I think part of it is, you know, they've played eight games now. Um, You know, they're, and Ryan Day always says this, so I'll I'll just steal what he says. Uh, Their confidence level is higher because they've done it. And their confidence level in their teammates is higher because they've seen them do it. So, you know, when stuff happens like, you know, they give up a big play, they're not hanging their heads and and saying, you know, oh, here we go again. They just go back and say, okay, we'll get you next time. And, you know, that's huge. Uh, This this team is young. It's it's still very young. They've got, you know, they've got veterans up front, and, and they're playing like it. And they need to play like it. But, you know, you've got guys in the back seven here, basically this is their first year playing college football. So, you know, all of us who thought that they were just going to run roughshod over everybody this year, you know, shame on us because we weren't paying attention. But, you know, they're they're markedly better now, and I would assume once they get to the Michigan State and Michigan game, they'll be even better. Well, they better because they're going to need to be. I, you know, I, I'm true. I, I'm always a cautiously optimistic to harshly pessimistic person. I'm somewhere on that spectrum, and I watched Michigan State and Michigan on Saturday, and and I came out of that game saying that that's two football teams that can take Ohio State right to the brink. Well, it was a it was a good old fashioned you know power football game, and um, you know obviously Michigan State, um, you know they they were up emotionally for that, and and you got to give Mel. Tucker credit for that. Now, can they maintain that level of emotion? That's that's pretty iffy, but you know we'll see. Um, I thought Michigan got kind of exposed in in some of their deficiencies, but you know there's no question Ohio State's got more talent than both of them. But 
you know, we'll see down the line. You you got to play the games. You, Michigan State's got Purdue this week, so better be on upset alert. Mark, Ohio State goes on the road to Nebraska for an 11 a.m. local kickoff. All of those things uh, <laughs> that, that factor into whatever. Regardless of that, what are the chances that Scott Frost is the head coach at Nebraska a week from today? Oh, a week from today? Oh, I think he'll survive the season. Um, I think so. You know, past this, I don't know. Um, you know, they. I, I think what people don't don't understand, and certainly I don't I don't know if they understand Lincoln, but what they don't understand outside of Lincoln is how much of a dumpster fire he inherited, mm-hmm. and the fact that everybody thought that he was going to just turn that around immediately was, you know, that's a joke. He's still got a whole lot of rebuilding to do, and and Nebraska's got to decide. You know, are we going to be you know the Michigan of the of the early 2000s, where we just you know keep rotating coaches and and you know really spin our wheels and never get anywhere. Are we going to settle on one guy and, and you know give him time to to you know rebuild this program? And I think that's the decision they're going to make right now. Well, it, it'll be a decision they're going to have to make for sure because it's going to looking to be another year where they're not bowl eligible and. Uh, certainly yep. haven't reached the the heights that I mean they were they were hyped to be this this would be the turnaround year and and it started with the head coach I mean he felt like they were capable of accomplishing special things and that clearly hasn't happened now they could go a long way towards making it feel special by getting the big win uh, on their home field well, on true. Saturday but I, I'm, you I'm look just, at their lo- you look at their losses they they haven't been blown out at all so you know they're 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 close I know nobody in Nebraska wants to hear that but you know again you you know you got to figure out where you are, where you've been, and where you're going, and and if you just want to keep, you know, flipping coaches all the time, it's the same in in, in Michigan for the people who say Harbaugh's on the hot seat. Okay, fire him. Now, now what? What do you do now? It's you know you don't get anywhere by by doing that. Well, I I know this. I'm going to speak for most Ohio State fans when I say this. I, I can tolerate one week of not scoring 50 plus, but I don't want to have two in a row. So I need to know what the odds are of getting to half a hundred on Saturday. Well, don't ask me because I was the guy who said they're going to put fifty on Penn State, so so I have no clue. I, you know, at this point, it's winning, you know, winning in advance, and you know, I, I think you know the Nebraska's defense is is pretty tailored to give up a lot of yards and points to Ohio State, but you know, we'll see. It's uh, you know, go on the road, and get your chicken dinner, and come on home, and and let's go for next week. Greatly appreciate the time, pal. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Mark Ray, the managing editor emeritus of the Buckeye Sports Bulletin, joins us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. We're going to take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, a little uh, recap of the high school football from the weekend and look ahead to the weekend that is out there for so many of our local teams around Lima Land. John Cook and Garrett Seawright, Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studio. Mr. Seawright, we touched briefly on, and we'll touch briefly again here, on the success of our area teams yeah. in the football playoffs. It sets up for quite the weekend. Friday, obviously not as busy, but Friday and Saturday, we will have teams in our area playing Finley, uh, coming off of their win over Miamisburg. We said we is going to host Dublin Kaufman. Uh, also, uh, also, by the way, John, Finley's freshman quarterback, Ryan Montgomery, got a uh, scholarship offer from Ohio State over the weekend, so... What the hell is he waiting on? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. The answer's the, yes, buddy. Uh, I would. I would think so. But. <laughs> Where do I sign? He answers yes. Although, if he's looking at that quarterback room, 
Well, he's right. saying, are they going to keep recruiting well, them that good? Because right. if I get out of here three years from now and the quarterback room looks like that, maybe I don't want to do that. I don't know about that, but maybe, maybe I don't want to do that. Uh, also on Friday, uh, I said Finley's going to host Dublin Kaufman. Uh, <laughs> why didn't Coach Cooper and the guys just stay in Cincy? Grab a hotel, kind of, kind of hunker down. <laughs> Enjoy, be, enjoy the week. They're going to be right back down there, right? They are they are going to be right back down there in Hamilton. Shawnee taking on Hamilton-Baden on Friday night. St. Mary's advanced with a monster win over Franklin, and they are going to take on Chaminade Julian, the 13th seed that pulled a huge upset of Hamilton Ross on Friday last week. So St. Mary's will host Dayton Chaminade Julian in a second-round playoff game. Um I'm not sure who could be feeling better than St. Mary's after they the are. weekend that they had and the, and the way things... I mean, for those of you who don't know, Chaminade Julian obviously is not a bad football team. They got a big win, a 38-17 win over Hamilton Ross, but they're 3-6. and six, or, or excuse me, 4-5. and five. They were 3-5 and five in the regular season. They are 4-5 and five now with a playoff win under their belt and will be coming to take on St. Mary's uh, at St. Mary's on Friday night. Uh, Walpock, big win. You heard that one here on our air, and uh, they will advance... And have to travel, unfortunately. Uh, about that, Dunbar got to the game at 6.30 Ooh. For, for a 7 o'clock game. Okay. We, we started the pregame show as their bus was rolling in. And for, uh, for a hot second, I st- stood there in the press box thinking, oh, God, we're not going to have a football game tonight. <laughs> I, was, I was freaking out. I, I generally keep it together pretty well. And on Friday night, I thought, oh, my God, there's going to be some sort of Hey, we had 30 positive COVID cases at 5 o'clock. We're not coming. And I was going to have to figure out what in the hell we were going to do on Friday night. But they got there at 6.30, fully pad, full, pads on, ready to walk off the bus and start stretching. That was that was a new one for me. Well, Getting there at 6.30 for a 7 o'clock game, was, that was a new one. And they scored as many points as they would have if they had stayed on the bus. Hey, hey I, I, I scored as many touchdowns as they did <laughs> on Friday that's right, night. You did. The Van Wert Cougars advanced with a 46, uh, what was it, 46 did they give up people? Was it 46 I think 46 eight? nothing. 46 nothing over Rossford. And Wasion pulled off an upset in the other, the other half of that bracket. Uh, the 11 seed Wasion was a 41 to 7 winner over the 6 seed Worcester Triway. And so it will be Van Wert and Wasion on Friday night as well. Huge Saturday slate of games. Don't have time to touch on all of them here. But again, as Garrett said, our, our fan game of the week on Saturday will be at Spartan Stadium. Uh, the Lima Central Catholic Thunderbirds taking on the Upper Side of Valley Rams in just their second playoff appearance in school history. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's a it's a cool little story for USV that they, you know ten ten wins. I'm sure at times that Never USV happened. has felt like uh, completely like it would be more likely that a Ram would land on a moon. I attended than... high school for four years, didn't win ten games <laughs> in the time I was there. We did not win ten during my time as high school student. And they go they go ten and one right now. That's that's a good that's a good run for a good squad there at uh, at USV. Make for an interesting local matchup on Saturday night. Big big weekend of high school football ahead. We're going to take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it's time to do Monday's headlines today revisited. <clears throat> Another stellar weekend for both Garrett and myself. We'll hit all that. I got one you. right. Uh, yeah, there you go. After this, John Cook and Garrett Seawright. We are together, Cookie and the Monster, and this is. Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. And hour number two, straight ahead here on Cookie and the Monster, live in the basement doctor studio. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. 
Presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. Work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Garrett, it is time for my favorite, least favorite (laughs) time of the week when we revisit our Monday's headlines today. For those of you that might be new to the game on Friday afternoons, Garrett and I try to project out from Friday what we anticipate may be Monday's headlines from the weekend in sports. And we are really, really good at it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if you don't listen on Friday, we're really good at it on Monday. We are. We do a great job <laughs> recapping our Monday's headlines we today. Should, we should try that some Monday. Just go all, like, be like, Kenneth Walker the third runs for four touchdowns and went over Michigan. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh, man, I killed it. I got it so good. Well, speaking of killed it, I, I gave four headlines. I'm going to go ahead and just put the two out there that I can claim a win on, although this is not exactly how I saw it unfolding. I said... Astros on the brink, Braves up 3-2, headed to Houston. Now, that sounds right, but my anticipation was that the uh, that the Astros would actually have tied the series at 2, and that they would then be down 3-2 after losing instead of staving off elimination already. Um, they are on the brink, but they've been on the brink for a few days, and they're comfy with it, I guess. But I did, I, I'm still going to say I got that one right. Has anybody in World Series history, other than last night, hit a grand slam in the first inning and... You know, an elimination game and lost. Went on to lose the game. Uh, it's because that's got to not be a great omen, right? No, it, it got to not be. And and here's the thing: when I watch the Astros, they they strike me as the kind of team that can do just that. When I watch the Braves, I have one fear, and that's they're going to have spent the last how many ever hours going, "Oh my God, we had them! Oh my God, right. we had them!" <laughs> and it got away from us. And I'm not sure how you recover from that. I want to believe differently, and they are professional athletes, so maybe there's not an element of that. But there was a point in time, really even midway through that game, when Freeman Homer, to give him the lead back, said, it's over, that's it. Right, and because that was a moonshot. Yeah, I'm not sure it's landed yet. <laughs> that thing went into orbit. Keep looking out the basement doctor studio window here, wondering if it's going to come in and land on us. But anyway, I'm, I'm claiming a win for that one. And I said, Buckeyes paint the shoe red, pull away late. Did, did they technically pull away they late? They did. They got a field goal with two minutes and 14 seconds left to make it a, sec- a two-score game. So by definition, John, that, is, pulled away that is pulling away late. Hey, I'm 2-0. I'm, I'm they and didn't o. pull away by a lot. So I'm 2-0. <laughs> but I'm 2-0. But I'm, I'm going to be 2-2 two and two because my other headline was, Welcome back, big brother, uh, T-ton pound Sparty. Yeah, not so much. Okay. Moving on. Next. <laughs> Baker just healthy enough. Browns squeaked by Steelers. Yeah, kind of got that one wrong too. But that might have been a Monday's headline today where I was hoping I could either be happy or right. Well, um, <laughs> I pulled the Ron Williams on us there. I'm uh, I'm in a similar situation here where uh, I I I got I got one confidently correct that I Sparty up MSU upends UM's playoff chances. Got that one right. Anybody think Michigan's going to playoff now? Because I do not. <laughs> and I I, I don't. I, I didn't feel super str- – I just thought when push comes to shove, do, do I trust Mel Tucker to win a game more than I trust Jim Harbaugh? Yeah. The answer is hell yeah. Yeah. yeah Here, here's a question I have for you just because it's fun. Because there are a number of weeks between now and then, and I don't know what might happen. I'm assuming Michigan's going to win all their games between now and when they play Ohio State. But is there any coach in the country that's going to feel any more pressure to win that to one win game. one game than he's going to feel on that day. Um, no, no, I don't think so. 
And I think that bodes incredibly well in Ohio State's favor. That's not fair. <laughs> but, but it's true that if he's got when he and every and I've, I've said this before about like Peyton Manning used to the, the knock on Peyton Manning used to be, you know, he couldn't win the big one. Well, it, when he won them, they turned into not big ones. That it won a lot right, of wild card right. and divisional yeah. round games. We yeah. didn't win the AFC championship game, but as if, as if NFL playoff games aren't big ones. They aren't big games. And Jim Harbaugh beat the absolute dog piss out of a Notre Dame squad in the rain a couple of years ago when Notre Dame was ranked, and nobody says, well, there, there you go. That's the one. It doesn't matter. It wasn't a big when, game. Right. When Michigan State's been good, he's lost to Michigan State. And he's. we all know what he's done on the Saturday after Thanksgiving the last oh, seven years. Um, the... I, I, I don't. I don't want to say I feel for the guy because I don't. It's but, bird too. But, but man, has he had some really good football players and some really good teams, and they looked really good for a while on Saturday, and then you get outscored twenty three three in the second half to to lose to your rival, who you, everybody in your state and all of your fans believe is your little brother. Well, that's, that's tough. That's tough. You, you know, the irony of all ironies is I hear Gus Johnson say during the broadcast, J.K. Could there be any problem with running in different quarterbacks, kind of ro- rotating them during drives like this as far as handling the football? And J.K.'s like, I, I don't think so. Joel Klatz, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> well, well, what had happened was, <laughs> I, I think he deserves, I think he deserves some criticism for that. Because if you, like, if you believe that that kid deserves to be playing in the fourth quarter in that situation, I have to believe that you believe that guy should be your starter. And if, he, if he's not your starter, Cade McNamara has not been great. He was fantastic on Saturday. And you kept trotting out this kid, basically so he wanted to transfer portal, and it cost you a football game. And I've never been a fan of, I don't like, in fact, when, when like Taysom Hill goes into a game and you know oh, it's gosh. just going to be a quarterback sweep right. or a counter for the quarterback. However, because the handling of the football and because of the rhythm that that takes and because there are so many mesh points and reads and things that have to take place, if you're going to use a guy in the middle of a drive for one play, don't let anyone else touch the football. Don't make That's... it an option. Snap him the ball, run him one way, and block like hell for him and tell him to get out of bounds if he can't get to the corner. I, I just, I don't, I, I'm not ever been a fan of it, so I don't know why I would defend Harbaugh. Any team that I've ever rooted for, if they did that, I wasn't happy about it, so I don't think there's a reason for me to sit here and try to you know defend Harbaugh and act as if right. well I want to I want to see it the way he sees it I, I think you hurt I, your team I, right. and I think I it bitch you in the ass and that's what happened right it cost you and I it, it's something that I I mentioned when uh, Ohio State beat Minnesota where in the first drive of the game it was mine Williams at running back then the second drive of the game was Master Teague in the third drive of the game it was Travion Henderson the fourth drive they went back to Mayan Williams and it it, it, it it reeks of arrogance. It reeks of, I don't believe me tinkering can cost me. And at some point, you just got to win the damn game. And I Michigan got cute, and it cost them. And did I hate to see it? No, absolutely not. I enjoyed it <laughs> well, thoroughly. Because I, 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 I think Mel Tucker's a really good dude, and I, I, I'm really happy for him because I think his success is going to propel him to be the LSU head coach, and I don't have to worry about him turning MSU <laughs> into a juggernaut. So I think it's great. I, like, I congratulations on that success. I hope you lose in two weeks. Um, but uh, like, I, I enjoyed watching that football game because he was the exact opposite of Jim Harbaugh. When push came to shove, he's like, "I'm gonna turn around and give it to that guy." Because he's really good, and Kenneth Walker had himself a day because they did what they needed to do to win the game. 
all exceptional points, but they aren't hiding from me the fact that we're spending all this time on the one you got right, Mr. C. Right. Hey, you know, get just, to your other headline. Uh, I please. also <laughs> mentioned that uh, Big Ben crumbles in Steelers' loss. Next, <laughs> next. Uh, and then I also had Penn State seeing red after thrashing at hands of Stroud Buckeyes. You get a half. That, point. Yeah. That, get half that didn't go so well either. I really thought I, I thought it would be like you said, one that you pull away in. You pull away in late. I thought um, the pull but, away would be two touchdown lead because right. of a late score. Penn State hung around for a while and then Ohio State just wears them down. Gets a couple touchdowns late. Uh gets their traditional pick six against Penn State and you, you win by seventeen points, which is what the spread was. What the spread was. I advise Cookie to take the over on Friday and that. That's why. That's why I don't bet. Continuing That's, to listen, but not yeah. act on. Yes, yes, Continuing yes. Continuing to yes. listen, but not act it's on. It's easy to sit here and tell you what you should do. And then, nope, never mind. Certainly it is. So that is a look back at our Monday's headlines today from Friday. We're going to take a Don Jacobs Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it's going to be time for football at 515 so we can chat about what might be wrong with the Browns' offense. Here's a hint. It's not their offensive coordinator. <laughs> That's my opinion. John Cook and Garrett C. right with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the fan. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win. It's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference, and that's why at Service Master they don't cut corners. They clean them. It's a question we could probably ask Ken Silverstein coming up here in uh, about 10 minutes, John, but one of the questions I would ask you is, uh, what happened to the Browns' offense? This is a team that scored 42 points in a loss a few weeks ago that couldn't muster 10 on Sunday against the or couldn't muster 11 on Sunday against the Steelers. Well, and, and the interesting part of that is that no one would say that the offense in the Thursday night game when they didn't have Baker and they didn't have Chubb and they didn't have and they didn't have right. and they didn't have, no one would say that that offense was explosive, but they were certainly very sharp on the opening drive, which, by the way, I've never seen a defensive team look as unprepared to play as, as Denver looked on that one. But uh, I get the feeling coming out of that game that they weren't great offensively, but the feeling had to be, well, that was certainly good enough and serviceable, and we found something in Dearness Johnson that maybe he's a little more than we had thought we had, and when we get healthy again, we'll, we'll be better. What happened to their offense is two things. One, they ran into a pretty damn good defensive football team. Yeah. I mean, they, the Steelers' defense is not a joke, and they took away – at least one thing for the most part. They they made life really, 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 really difficult for Nick Chubb. But you and I said this off air, and, and I don't know why it's so hard to accept this. What happened to their offense was they stopped catching the football consistently. They dropped the football at least five times. Baker Mayfield was 20-31 yesterday, and his receivers had five drops. So let's say he's 25-31. of 31. Is the narrative still, oh, they're not... They're not winning because of him. What? 25 of 31 sounds awful darn good to me. 23 of 31 sounds good. Give them two drops. Right. I mean, if it, it, they're 23 human. of 31 for a few score. Like they, they, I think, inevitably score on the drive when Jarvis Landry fumbles the football. And, they and are that's marching the towards winning the game. Not only are we dropping passes, but 
a wide receiver who caught one laid it on the turf in a really bad spot. The guy that you're you're pretty darn sure is going to hold on to the football and you throw it to him. He had five catches, did Jarvis Landry, on ten targets. I love the statistical breakdown of this. Did you realize, Garrett, that Odell Beckham Jr. had a total of one target? For six yards? He One target, he caught it, six yards. That was his Sunday. Well, that was going to lead to my next... If you're not going to have that guy involved, you trade him by tomorrow, right? We're not hearing just, much about it, but it certainly d- would make sense. I'll be interested to hear what Ken Silverstein has to say about that. I think you just gotta you just gotta dump the guy. That you forget that he's there, and that's not. I don't know if that's his fault. I don't know if that's the offense's fault. I don't know if that's Baker Mayfield's fault. At some point, you just recognize that it didn't work, and get something out of it. I, I think I would think that would make a ton of sense. Let me let me ask you this question because I did hear a couple people questioning the offensive play calling on Sunday as if that may have been a cause for the Browns. I don't know about their loss, but some of their offensive woes. I I do have to admit, and I did hear this late in the day on Sunday. They only ran the football ten times in the first half. And when you have Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson, I, I I feel like it's almost criminal. Uh, Nick Chubb still got 16 carries yesterday. I, yeah. I've, I think unless you're down early, that that guy's got to have 20 to 25 carries, well, damn near every day. He, here's the thing: if he's only going to have 16, then Dearness Johnson better have nine or ten. Yeah, Dearness Johnson had four, and one four of them, carries, one of them for a touchdown, and it was one hell of a run. He's by a, the way, he can play. Yeah, I again, I'm not saying take carries away from. Nick Chubb to right. give them to Dearness Johnson. I'm but just saying, if you're worried about you know usage or too much wear on those on the, too much tread on those tires being taken off, blah 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 blah. You got a stable of dudes who are well, and it would have it would have made sense to to somewhat limit Nick Chubb's carries on a on a game coming back from yeah. an injury, and that would have made sense. But I and I'm sure it got asked today. I, I would love to hear the answer to. I mean, did Dearness Johnson not have a monster night on right, Thursday did he night? Not earn more carries. I, you I would think, think that think you still did. you still want to build your team the way you've built your team. You still want to play the way right. You that, want to that play that style. And and I don't know. I I looked at at that first half of that game and I felt like I don't know. I was surprised. I guess that to see Cleveland play the way they did. Now I still I still maintain this. The two things that really happened to their offense was they, they ran into a really good defensive football team and their receivers didn't catch the football effectively enough. Well, but, but I mean, even since the Chargers game, the, the Broncos defensively aren't necessarily world beaters outside of Von Miller, who got traded today, by the way. Um, I don't know if you saw I, that. I did see that. That uh, made me throw up my mouth a little bit. I, I, it didn't for me because I love Matt Stafford. I think he is the I, cat I do too. Meow. But here's, they here's what do I'm whatever saying. They should do whatever they can to get that dude a Super Bowl. Why does why does Denver trade a guy like because you get w- within their division basically? I mean, it, it, I you, mean it's within the conference. So why why you get uh well you get a they get two second two day two picks so you get a a second round pick and a third round pick. I mean they're also paying nine the remaining he's got basically just under ten million dollars in salary left this year and they're paying nine million the Broncos are paying nine million dollars of it um, so that's interesting but. That's got to be motivating. Nonetheless, 
people are paying me not to play football for them. Well, that's. I, I, in I, fact, I, they're paying me to play football for someone else. We, we've talked. We've talked. Uh, if I could just get one one college division one head football coaching job and get fired, we'd be, we'd be on easy street to rest. Up. <laughs> My grandkids would be on easy street if we could just get one division one coach college to fire me. I am quite certain that Ken Silverstein will have lots of thoughts about what we saw from the Browns on Sunday. I want. I, I wonder. I, I, I'm going to ask him. Is 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 Baker Mayfield feeling the heat? Because essentially, if if you play three years and you don't get a contract extension, you generally don't get one. And here he is, midway through year four, and they're still going. Eh, we want to see some more from him. I don't. I don't know if you knew this, but the post game show after Browns games on the radio. Oh, it's fantastic. Is, is a bit of a lengthy process. And uh, there were some callers in succession. Let's go to Jim Bob from Westlake. <laughs> they brought a guy on the air and wanted to know if he was from Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon. And he said, no, I'm from Cortland. You know, Ooh. right right up here, right up here <laughs> in our neck of the woods, Cortland. But there were three consecutive callers who blamed the loss on Baker Mayfield, on the defensive coordinator, and on Kevin Stefanski, and all three callers said it's time to move on from Baker Mayfield. We need to fire uh, the offensive coordinator. And is Kevin Stefanski maybe not the guy for this job? That was three consecutive callers. That's the goods right there. That's exactly. <laughs> that's the goods. That's right the there. goods. Yes, it is. It's what makes post game shows interesting, I suppose. Ken Silverstein will have more insight for us. And if you do, 419-227-9393 or 888-894-ESPN. That's 888-894-3776 as we take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we'll be visiting with the aforementioned Mr. Silverstein on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Stay with us for that. And we will get poll results and our water cooler conversation at the end of the program as well. All that ahead on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studio. John Cook and my partner Garrett Seawright with you on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan coming to you live from the Basement Doctor Studio. 419-227-9393-1888-894. ESPN, that's 888-894-3776. If you want to be a part of the program, we are going to go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline where it is time for our weekly visit with friend of the program. Oh, we're efforting Ken Silverstein at the moment. We're going to be visiting with Ken, talking Cleveland Pro Sports, and I'm sure we're going to have all kinds of optimistic conversation about what we saw from Cleveland on Sunday. We'll bring Ken in on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Mr. Silverstein, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? I think we're okay. We're hanging in there. Fortunately, for, for our sakes, Garrett and I, neither one are you know dyed-in-the-wool Browns fans, so we survived Sunday at least relatively well. I'm not... <laughs> Not sure the general consensus in the Cleveland area is that. Ken, when you when you look back on what happened yesterday in that rivalry game between the Browns and the Steelers, what's what's the thing that stands out most to you? Well, only ten points. I mean, you can't win. You can't win in the NFL when you're scoring ten. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, they beat Minnesota earlier this year with fourteen, and they were fortunate to get out of there with a W. So, I mean, you got to score twenty-ish. The key is ish. In the NFL to win games, and when you score 10 and your quarterback play is average and your wide receivers don't catch the ball and your running back doesn't do what he normally does and you lose your right tackle now for at least a few weeks in Conklin, uh, not much went right offensively. Now defensively, you know, you give up 15, you're going to win probably 90-some percent. I don't know the exact percentage, but I think you'll agree where I'm going with this. You give up 15, you should win. Home or away, you should win. If you give up 15, 
They didn't. And so now with the trading deadline, tick-tock, tick-tock, coming up tomorrow, it'll be interesting to see if they do anything. And Garrett and I talked, Ken, about the, the Thursday night performance against the Broncos was a surprisingly good performance when you consider all of what went into the circumstance that made Thursday night what it was. The injuries and the guys that were out, your starting quarterbacks out, your running backs are out, and they go play relatively well, actually very, very well at the start of the game, but they only scored 17 points in that contest. I can't imagine anybody would have anticipated them not scoring more than 17 in Sunday's game, and that's exactly what happened. And you said, and we've talked about it, they, they receivers did not play well. I mean, they dropped five, at least five drops that, that we can recall. Uh, that were big, and then a fumble that was uh, awfully big when they were driving to maybe have a chance to win the game. Where do you hang most of the responsibility for that inept of an offensive performance? Was it the offense's problem and the things the Browns weren't doing, or or were the Steelers that good defensively? A little bit of everything. I I think the key when you look at the Browns, and they will admit to this, and there's no problem admitting to it, they are a run-first team, play-action off the run. And so when you take Chubb and you stymie him, and they did, statistically they stymied him. And so when you slow him down, and there is no Hunt, uh, Kareem Hunt because of injury, you begin to whittle away at what they want to do because then you don't respect the run as much when Chubb and Hunt are galloping 80, 90, 100 yards plus individually each game. So when you cut that number down immeasurably, uh, done by the Pittsburgh front seven, you start to take some of the ammo away from Mayfield. And I think one of the things that I've noticed over the years here is that with Mayfield, if you're playing a pretty good defense, you put pressure on him, particularly in his face. He's not 6'4", 6'5". You make him, you make him twitchy of the injury likewise. Hey, he's gotten it out. Tip of the hat to that. It's, you know, he's a, he's a tough dude. Okay. We, uh, we respect that, but, circling back, when you take the running game away from them and then you're playing a team that's pretty good defensively, we're not talking about the mid-'80s Bears here, but a pretty (laughs) good Pittsburgh defense, particularly with Watt on the outside, then all of a sudden you begin to take away some um, some of the ammo away from the coaching staff. With the Browns being built the way they are and a team that wants to be a run first football team, were you surprised to see Dearness Johnson only get four carries? No, because Chubb's the guy. I mean, Chubb is the Chubb's the man. Hunt's a one B, and I mean they have to play him with Hunt out. So no, I mean Chubb's a top. We could debate this, I guess. Top five, six running back in the NFL right now. So no, he's he's the guy, and as good as Hunt is, Chubb's better. So you got to go with Chubb. The problem was they were stopping Chubb. No, he didn't gain twenty yards on the game, but he didn't get his normal numbers. And because of that, then all of a sudden now you're putting more pressure on Mayfield. You're putting more pressure on the wide receivers and give the Steelers credit. They made enough plays. You add in the drops. Uh, I don't know about you guys. When the Steelers, let's see, they were going, they were going to the east end zone. So they're going left to right, if you think of it this way. And they do the fake field goal and it gets botched. And I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, that's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. It's a makeable field goal. Mike Tomlin, what are you doing? You got you got one of the best field goal kickers in the entire NFL, and you're trying to fake here. They they blow it up, and I'm thinking at that point, there's no way the Browns are going to lose this game. And I bet the fans were thinking that, and I bet you guys were probably thinking that. <laughs> and now 
you look an hour and a half later and you look at the scoreboard and you go, wait a second here. What just happened? How'd they lose this? We've gone over some of the highlights, or better yet, lowlights on how they lost it. And now it makes the Cincinnati game. Man, I never thought I'd ever say this. <laughs> this makes the Cincinnati game the battle for the Buckeye bragging, uh, bragging rights. One or two outings, obviously. Uh, Sunday, uh, both coming off of losses. Man, oh, man. I mean, if you're the Browns, you cannot lose this game. You yeah. cannot go to four and five. And if you're the Bengals, you can't afford to lose. One, it's a home game. Two, you just came off an abysmal performance against one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Jets against a backup QB that 98% of America never heard of prior to about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. So a lot of pressure on both teams. I expect, guys, this is going to be one hell of a game come Sunday afternoon. Uh, uh, I, I think the Browns have better talent from top to bottom of the way they're playing and the Bengals being at home. If Burrow does what Burrow can do, and the Browns kind of sleepwalk it a little bit, wouldn't shock me if Cincinnati wins. But I'm going to pick the Browns by a couple only because, again, I think they got better talent from 1 through 53 on their collective rosters. Ken Silverstein joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. And, and, and Ken, do you think at all Baker Mayfield is starting to feel any, any pressure that, that just overall – the, the the quarterbacks who don't get an extension after their third or third year starting don't get that extension and he's you know entering year three and a half four of being a starter does he feel the pressure of recognizing that that maybe that that's slipping away from him I look he's, he's human okay he's got big ego he wears it on his on his shoulder um yeah, I think a little bit. He'll never admit to it. But I, look, he's he's a human being, and um, no, he's not a robot. So I would say yes, somewhat, Garrett. And then the other factor in, and look, let's say you twist your ankle. You're stepping off the curb and you twist your ankle, you know, going to lunch or, I don't know, going anywhere. Okay. And it hurts. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, uh, it's going to hurt for a few weeks, maybe four to six weeks. Okay. Well, you try to get around, and what you do is you try, you compensate, and then the other ankle starts to hurt. Your other side of the body hurts, mm-hmm. whichever one you didn't twist, because you're compensating for the injured ankle in this example I'm using. So he's compensating, and it's natural. It's normal. We've all been hurt before. He's compensating for the injury because he knows he's got it, and every time he gets hit in that area, he knows he's playing you know, with dynamite here, injury-wise. So he's in a tough spot. Now, the organization, Garrett, is in a tough spot also. He is, whether we like it or not, and this is not saying he's a second coming of, I don't know, pick your favorite quarterback. Uh, He's not Montana. He's not Marino. He's not Manning, whatever. The elite, elite Hall of Fame QBs of the last X amount of decades He's the best they've had since 99 when they right, came back. Right. You know it, they know it, and his agent knows it. Okay? So the agent's got leverage. Okay? He can say, look, what do you, you, you're going to go with Case Keenum? Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay? Not over 17 games. You're not. You're not going to get where you, where you want. Who are you going to get that's better? Okay? And... He's the best guy since 99. Now, we could argue that may not be saying a lot. 
look at the other 30-plus who tried. Okay, I get all of that. So both sides are in a tough spot. The team is in a tough spot because there's a lot of money. They're not sure. And he's got leverage, and his representative has got leverage because they can say again, where are you going to go? He's the best since 99. What are you going to do? So I've said to you in the past, Garrett, they're going to have to go apart and pay him. I don't think deep, deep, deep down they want to, but I think they're stuck. I think they're stuck. And when you're stuck, sometimes you make a decision that maybe, just maybe you don't want to, but you're forced to. And I think I think he's going to get paid, even though I don't think – I've said this before, I'll be consistent. I don't think he's a top-ten quarterback. That's just me. Uh, I've said that from the get-go, uh, and I'll stick to my guns here. When he plays lights out, yeah, he is. But on a normal Sunday, I don't think he's top 10. He's well, not the worst, but I don't think he's top 10. Yeah, and he may not be, and they've they've taken their own sweet time trying to determine that. This season, if it was going to be the decisive season, uh, is one, unfortunately, where they've had to deal with injuries, or he has, and his performance has been inconsistent at best. But they're still facing a season where a lot can be accomplished, and they've got a remarkably difficult stretch of games ahead of them excluding maybe the Lions, who, I mean, hell, they're going to beat somebody at some point. Um, and that makes them scary to me. But the trade deadline is tomorrow. Are you hearing anything about the potential for a move for the Browns? Because, again, I asked Garrett, and I know this is the one that's the low-hanging fruit, but Odell Beckham Jr. had one target on Sunday. And we've beaten to death the topic of what's wrong with his fit with this team and with this quarterback. At some point... There needs to be something that is gained from that position, whether he becomes more of a part of the offense or you use what value he has left to acquire something else. Is there anything in the offing? I would say this, that he's out there. He's available. And he's available at a pretty accommodating price because he's really expensive. And they would love to get that number off the accounting books. Mm -hmm. So put football off the side. This is also an accounting salary cap issue also. So if they could move him, meaning OBJ, and maybe not get what most people would consider to be value, okay, or equal value, but let's say you get a third-round pick, which quite frankly, considering his resume, is not a great deal, but to get rid of the millions of dollars that would be, you know, that would help from a salary cap standpoint, that would make that third-round pick look a lot better from a salary cap standpoint. So I'd say it's 50-50. I think they're trying. I'm pretty sure they're trying. There are teams out there. But here's the issue, guys, and you guys have been asked it. I've been asked it so many times that I'm blue in the face. In all the years I've covered the NFL and other NFL markets, without boring to death about my resume, the bottom line is I don't know if I've ever seen something like this where the quarterback can't figure out how to get the ball to the quote, quote, you know, all pro wide receiver and the all pro wide receiver can't click with the so-called, and I use this term loosely, franchise quarterback. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't think I've ever seen it before. And if I have seen it before, I don't think I've ever seen it magnified as much as this relationship. And guys, from what I can grasp, it's not that they don't like each other. They get along. It's not like, oh, I just like him, so I'm going to throw the ball to Landry or Higgins or a partridge in a pear tree. No, from everything I've noticed visually, everything that I can grasp, 
No, there's no anima- There's no I hate him or I don't like him or he drives me nuts or you know I can't stand to be in the same room with him. No, I don't think I don't think that's a factor at all. From what I can grasp, they're pretty chummy. Okay, but it doesn't translate. And this is what I don't understand. And this is what the fan base doesn't understand. Why it doesn't translate to the field? I don't know. I've never, I've never seen anything. Maybe you guys can give me an example of it. But I've never seen anything like it. Well, we, we've got lots of examples of good chemistry just occurring, and how, and, and that's easy to see. But you're right; it's it's very odd to see two talented athletes not be able to find chemistry, and that by itself is not likely to get resolved this week. Unfortunately for the Browns, there's a lot riding on this game, and they've got to move on to probably bigger and better things. They've got a lot of issues to deal with, and and more than anything else try to deal with the fact that they're not healthy and how to resolve some of that or at least play above the injuries. It's going to be a monster week uh, for the Browns, and it's odd to say that this early in the season, but you're right. That matchup with the Bengals on Sunday is an awfully, awfully big game for both teams. We thank you for your time, Ken. We'll look forward to chatting with you next week. Look forward to it. Have a good week, everybody. Cleveland Pro Sports reporter Ken Silverstein joins us on the Mayor First Home Mortgage Hotline. We will take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, it's time for poll results and water cooler conversation. Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Final segment here on Cookie and the Monster. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you in the basement doctor studio. Garrett, let's talk poll results. Yeah, I had a couple of questions up at 93.1 The Fan on Twitter. We asked, is the Brown season going down the drain? 65% say, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so that's where we are in the season. Yeah. Uh, we're also asking, will Jim Harbaugh ever win the big one at Michigan? 82% say no. That's a high number. That is, that is a high number. Uh, we're also asking which seasonal Reese's is the best shape? Because it's the hard-hitting journalism put together on this show. We have some of our best conversations about candy. Oh, man. 72% say Easter eggs, and 72% are right. Oh, 72% are right, and the other people are right. just not paying attention. 28% need to get out more. Uh, and our final question, after seeing the first round play out, are you in favor of the high school football playoffs having 16 qualifying teams per region? 67% say no, they are not. That's not surprising to me. I, again, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, so I'll, I'll, I'll side with whichever whichever side seems like it's going to win. You can be opposed to it. They're not likely going to undo it and revert back to the old way. That, my friend, does not happen. That You are correct. It, that, once the cat's out of the bag, once that toothpaste squeezed out the bottle, ain't going back in. What would you like to chat about around the water cooler tomorrow? Well, John, I don't know. Uh, I, I know that you've seen the video because I showed you the video. But o- over the weekend uh, at the Wake Forest game, uh, uh, <laughs> a, a nice young man who I don't know that is, uh, I think is out of his out of his league, uh, was standing next to a girl, and they they shot they showed a picture of the a video of the crowd, the student section, and there he was standing next to this very pretty girl who uh, turned and said something to him. And then uh, started to flutter her eyelids and, and lean in for a kiss. And either my man is uh, not observant or thought he was better than that, but turned away. And it is the single most embarrassing video I've ever seen in my entire adult life. I feel, I, I feel so poorly for this girl. She, I don't. She was an attractive young lady who misread the situation. She went to her closing move, she and was it got lead. her nowhere. <laughs> she, went to the fin- she went to the finishing move. This was rock bottom, stone cold stunner, people's elbow, and it, it got her nowhere. Fluttered those it eyelashes, was, oh, they were, they leaned were, in, and my man said, here, take my cheekbone. <laughs> 
And ha- it is, it have is, that and like it. I'm watching football. It's so cr- oh, it made me cringe so hard. I <laughs> curled up into the fetal position. It's this poor, this poor lady, this poor, poor lady, and this kid just had no interest in in locking lips with her. And I, I, it's the single most embarrassing video I've ever seen on national TV. My water cooler conversation is this, and it's been well chronicled on these airwaves that I have advocated strongly for Cincinnati to be a candidate for the college football playoff i would like to have them in my dream scenario is for ohio state and cincinnati to play in a national semifinal um a national final would be great but that's just not very likely because they'd have to both beat teams that they probably aren't capable of beating to get there so let's put them in a semifinal and let them play against each other however i've been thinking now for several weeks without talking about it that i don't understand this this seemingly national focus on cincinnati and their qualifications for the college football playoff because they are unbeaten and they've played the teams that we asked them to play and they are a group of five school. There's a power five conference out there with an undefeated football team that is hammering folks. Not not winning close. No. Winning ACC football games in runaways. Wake Forest is 8-0. And I have not heard a single person talk about why Wake Forest could be a possible contender. And I ask you, if I were at a water cooler, I want to know why, and your first response is going to be because they're playing the ACC and they don't play anybody. I, I was going to say, my first response is, the reason they haven't been talked about, that's my fault, uh, the reason they haven't been talked about is because they haven't played Clemson yet. And even though Clemson is not in the top 25, everybody believes they're not good, because they haven't beat Clemson yet, is the reason why. Also, their non-conference schedule is Old Dominion, Norfolk State, and Army. So, not exactly murderer's row there. But, they don't have a top 25 But is the ACC worse than the American Athletic Conference? Yes. Yeah. This year, maybe it is. I guess SMU's pretty good. Houston's pretty good. Cincinnati's pretty good. Cincinnati's pretty good. But, But we'll see how Cincinnati does getting through those games. And if Wake Forest remains unbeaten, will they ever have an opportunity to get above maybe seven? No. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. We're back at 4 o'clock tomorrow right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Join Cookie and the Monster each weekday, 4 to 6. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow.